Do you like podcasts about movies, television shows, books, games, and pop culture? How about sports like football and tennis? Here at Freaking Geeks Media, one of our many goals is to create a variety of podcasts that you can enjoy listening to. From the Freaking Geeks podcast to Hungry for Hannibal, Friday Night Mics, the American Gods podcast, and Stranger Things, we know that giving you an assortment of options is one of the best ways of bringing you back for more. But it does take quite a bit of work and expense on our end to make these podcasts a reality. Patreon gives us the opportunity to make a living doing what we love. However, to do this, we need your help. By donating as little as a dollar a month, you get access to both past and upcoming Patreon-only content, as well as early access to regular episodes before they appear on iTunes. Other tier rewards include monthly Loot Crate giveaways, access to live broadcasts, Freaking Geeks t-shirts, magnets, and much more. We can honestly say that anything given is greatly appreciated. So, consider supporting us by going to www.patreon.com slash freakinggeeks and check out what we have to offer. We think you'll like what you see and hear. Welcome to the Freaking Geeks Podcast, the flagship podcast of Freaking Geeks Media. In this podcast, hosts Michael, Sarah, and Barry crank the geekiness to 11 covering everything from movies and television to pop culture, video games, books, and so much more. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The podcast is produced each week, so feel free to add us to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The links will be in the show notes. Okay, now it's time to start the show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and joined... uh, this time is going to be my co-host, Jacob, uh, who's been a faithful listener for a long time. Hi, Jacob. Hello. Uh, all right. So, you know, we decided uh, to do Snowpiercer for this review. So uh, this is a, a movie that came out in 2014. It premiered at Sundance and, and was a big hit that year uh, with critics. And uh, I remember hearing about this movie around that time, made that big splash, and I decided, you know, when I could see it, I was going to definitely check it out because the trailers looked uh, impressive and very stylish. Uh, And it's a movie that I think lived up to the expectations that I had for it. Uh, Some trailers make you feel like you're watching something special right from the get-go, and to me, Snowpiercer was that. Um, so Jacob, what was your first experience with Snowpiercer? Uh, did you watch the trailers before it came out? Was it something you heard post-release, uh, about how good this movie was? Um, honestly, it was more of a post-release thing for me because outside of some like very comedic roles and back when he did Fantastic Four, uh, Chris Evans wasn't really somebody I had imagined being able to pull off such a dramatic role in a sense. And so it was more of a after it released, I had heard so many really good things and it kind of made me take a second look and give it a, more of a thoughtful uh, attention to how well it could actually be, which kind of is unfortunate on my behalf that I couldn't 
think of him as a dramatic actor because, I mean, we've seen plenty of comedic talents do some serious roles really well. Yeah. Um, I agree. Uh, you know, Chris Evans is, is kind of a weird thing. You know, he was in Fantastic Four all those years ago, uh, early in his career. But I think the first time I ever took notice of him as an actor was in Sunshine, which oddly enough was directed by Danny Boyle. And uh, it's the first time I, I felt like, okay, oh, here's an actor uh, that's doing some good work now. He had a supporting role. And I wouldn't say he had a, a ton to do in that movie, but it wasn't comedic really, and it was, you know, something a little more serious, uh, serious sci-fi. So, you know, for me, I I watched it uh, when it came out. I was enthralled by how good this movie was, and when we started this podcast, I knew at some point down the road I was going to do Snowpiercer. I, I really wanted to do it because it's a movie that deserves to be talked about and dissected and uh, because it has an impressive, you know, idea and a concept and it, it's based on a uh, French a comic book uh, graphic novel that uh, was adapted and I think adapted brilliantly here. Uh, but we're going to get into kind of talking about this movie in a minute. I'm going to do the rundown with you guys the information uh, about Snowpiercer. So, uh, it was released on July 11th, 2014. It was written by Jun Ho Bong and directed, uh, written by Jun Ho Bong and Kelly Masterson, who's a playwright. Uh, directed by Jun Ho Bong, a run hour, a runtime of two hours, six minutes, a budget of 39.2 million. Box office is 4.5 million domestic, so it didn't make a lot here, but internationally it did much better. Uh, 82.2 million, uh, with obviously a total of 86.7. So, you know, it, it, it very, at the very least, it made back its money and it probably made a decent profit when you factor in, you know, sales, uh, you know, Blu ray sales and DVD sales and everything. Um, so, you know, it's a movie that didn't just flop completely. And considering what kind of movie it is and it, it's kind of stylish nature and it's pretty violent too. Uh, the fact that it actually did as well as it did overall is, is kind of impressive. I thought maybe it would do better uh, at, you know, 4.5 million in the United States is not a lot. I, th I was hoping it would it'd find a bigger, you know, niche here, but it didn't. It's okay. Um, I think it's actually grown in stature post release and uh, when it came on dvd and now you know you can find it on tv obviously and streaming services uh the movie stars chris evans ed harris john hurt octavia spencer and jamie bell among others so uh what would your what would be your one sentence review jacob for this movie if you had to, to sum this movie up in one sentence um what would it be uh I'd have to say Snowpiercer is a condensed look at the frailty of socioeconomic gaps and its most primal and explosive outcomes. Very good. Excellent. Uh, for me, it'd be uh, some serious thematic heft combined with inventive direction makes Snowpiercer a compelling example of genre filmmaking at its very best. Um. So the plot synopsis for this movie is uh, the world 
has more or less ended. After attempts at combating global warming has failed, an ice age is set in, and what's left of humanity is crammed into a train that circumvents the globe continually. But not all of humanity is treated equally on the train. If you live in the car, cars nearest the conductor, you live in splendor and comfort, live towards the back, and it's a far different story. But what if you wanted to change all of that? So uh, this movie basically is uh, about that, but it also about so much more. Uh, this movie is – it's funny. It's, you watch this movie and, you know, on the surface, it's its very stylish. Um, it's obviously, like I said, very violent. Um, it, it's a good, I guess, action kind of movie because there is a lot of fight scenes and a lot of death and brutality. So if that's kind of like – your thing, if you really like that, then this movie will probably be for you. But if you look beneath the surface, that's when you see just how incredibly um, thoughtful and compelling, just from a script-wise standpoint, this movie is. Uh, it's, um, like I said in my one-sentence one review, and you said uh, in yours, there is some pretty hefty thematic um, aspects to this story and what it really means and the, the socioeconomic, um, you know, aspects to the story are, uh, pretty fantastic. Now, is that what you picked up on when you first watched this movie about the, the back of the train, obviously being, you know, the, the poor, uh, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that like, it's just, it, it's very clear cut that like, the, the back of the train is they're the the low class like they're the just the bottom rung of any kind of potential ladder whether it be socioeconomic or any other kind of category in comparison to how the front of the train views like the whole system yeah it's like the the needs of many are served by the few in the back you know the the the, the last uh car that that houses chris evans and and what i guess you would probably call at least the people here the the dregs of humanity uh they create this balance and in the the balance is something you hear all the time in this movie it's continually you hear it all throughout balance 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 what's that mean okay well that's what it means that for everything to work, there needs to be people that suffer. At least that's their viewpoint here. It's like an ecosystem, right? So if we look at the train as an ecosystem and Ed Harris as the conductor, brilliantly played by Ed Harris, it's just, he's a great, it's a great performance. He's a great actor, but he talks about the ecosystem and the ecosystem is brought up in a different car with all the fish, right? And, yeah. you know, if you look at an ecosystem, what are the what would be the stand-in for the dregs of humanity? It would be whoever's sitting on the bottom of the food chain, you know, the smallest fish, the plankton. Some fish are going to get eaten and killed, and then other other fish and other species will be able to survive. So that I think is a pretty interesting look at why this movie is so um, so great because. You take a train and you turn that train into an ecosystem of humanity. 
And of course, there are going to be people that say, I don't like this. This isn't for me. <clears throat> We're suffering here. This is not right. We deserve better. We deserve to be uh, better to, do, to be treated better than this. We deserve more than what we currently have. And, <clears throat> excuse me. So, um, what did you think about the design of this movie in terms of the design of the cars, everything, the cinematography, the world outside the train, the train itself? Uh, I just, yeah, it was like you mentioned earlier, it was very stylistic. Like it was very distinct from car to car and they made sure they, uh, really had like a distinct feeling for each one to where you could tell that they were not in the same little sub ecosystem that they were two, three, five minutes ago in the movie. And it was, it was really well done in that, uh, the outside world, like just looked so stunning with some of the different stuff, like just turned to snow. It was, like it, it was that how everything seemed so quiet. They did a good job of making it seem like that. Like if that was to really happen, like there just ah, uh, it just looked stunningly well done and surprisingly realistic for how it would. I feel like it would go if that happened, and uh, just overall, it, it was a very well done like some like scenes and train mm-hmm. aspects like all the segments and whatnot is just overall really really well done i yeah i agree and i think that the one of the strengths one of the strengths of the movie is how it looks and so the the tail section needs to be dirty and grimy and very very dark obviously almost inhospitable for the other you know sections to really pop you need to see the difference between how people live back there and just a couple sections up where they're walking into, you know, a, a car that has trees with fruit and stuff growing in it and people are growing vegetables. And then you go to the next station and there's this um, aquarium with all this, these fish all around you. Um, and there's a guy making sushi and then you go to the next section and you know, it's a school where kids are, are taught and, you know, on and on. Next uh, car, there's there's a rave, you know, people partying and, and in the next section, there's like, I don't know, like a sauna or something, you know. So each section, I feel like was meticulously crafted in terms of look, the lighting. <clears throat> the lighting in this movie is brilliant uh, because you need to have good lighting you're in a train, you're in these different cars. So on top of the fact that they, the design and the color scheme needs to be different, you need to make sure that your lighting is good as well. And I feel like the lighting here is, is wonderfully done. Um, you know, there's like the, the, uh, the one scene where all the soldiers are fighting and they throw on night vision goggles and the way that looks and then people running in with fire and the way it lights everything up. Obviously, if you're wearing night vision goggles, that's going to blind you. But just in general, it, that, uh, that train car being dark and then people suddenly running in with all these torches with fire. So the way that that is designed and the way they kind of worked that out in pre-production, I think, is a great aspect of this movie. And it shows you that you can have a moderate budget for a movie and create something fantastic because sometimes i think what people don't understand 
is that having a smaller budget doesn't mean a worse movie. Sometimes it actually is better uh, because when you don't have a giant budget where you can just you know throw or throw CGI in wherever you want uh, without care, like oh well we have a hundred fifty million dollar budget we can do whatever we want so we'll just put you know this you know CG in there and and do it with a smaller budget you need to have practical effects you need to really be inventive, be creative, just so that you're able to kind of work these problems out because you don't have the budget to do whatever you want. So a $40 million budget is, you know, these days, it's it's pretty small. You know, it's not, it's not big. 40 million, yeah, I mean, it'll get you, you know, maybe get you some special effects uh, here and there, but you have to pretty much do most of the other stuff with practical effects. And that's what this movie does in spades. The use of special effects with CGI is done where it's needed, and that's mostly just with the train and going on the tracks and in the world outside the train. That's pretty much for the most part. I think that's it. I think everything else is done practically, and they had to. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we talked uh, a little bit about the socioeconomic allegory, you know, for the class system uh, and how people are raised on this train. Similarly, I think to how people are raised in the real world, to few, some people is better and some is worse. Some people deserve more and some people deserve less. Uh, that's how, you know, unfortunately the world is today. Um, you could argue it's been that way for a very, very long time. It's not really changed since, you know, hundreds, thousands of years ago. Really been, for the most part, I think the same. Uh, but the kids in this, in this train and the people here are, are taught the exact same thing, which is why I think the cars uh, create the class system for this world. And do you agree with the train conductor at the, at the end of the journey, whenever, uh, um, I'm pulling a blank on his name. Uh, Chris Evans's character gets to the front and he's able to talk to Ed Harris, the train conductor. Uh, Wilford, I believe his name Wilford. was. That is correct. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things. It's like, uh, to an extent, I, I understand his point and his reasoning because there, no matter what, there has to be somebody willing to do the, the dirty job. Like there's gotta be somebody willing to do all these things because without it there would not be a functioning society like at, at the end of the day no matter how much you may not like it it is something that's needed having even being considered uh you know on the socioeconomic status on the lower end like it's just how a society functions like it's just it, there's no way around it like i if there was and i'm we just don't know it, then awesome. And hopefully we can get to that point someday soon. But to the extent where it's more so of not like, I feel like he was going and taking it even farther than just, Oh, you guys have to be in this spot. And like, we have to keep everything in a very set, situation is more so of yeah he just it seems like he takes it to an extreme to where obviously 
these using kids, which it seems like they're taking every single kid that comes out of the tail end, which it seems like they only need one for later on. Like when it shows the kid, I, which kind of makes me wonder, like they never answer it, but I want to know what happens to the other kids. I know. Right. Like I was watching it with my wife again, just to kind of get a refresher. And I was like, please tell me that's not Soylent Green that those protein bars are. Like, please uh, tell me that's not that. Like, that would be horrible. And, it, like, I, it, it just it seems like it's taking the base of what's needed to an extreme. And that's where I absolutely think he is. Let that seclusion get to him, uh, which he does a fantastic job of showing that he – and admitting that he's lonely, like he makes it an emphasis that he's only really interacts with that one uh, woman. Uh, was it Gertrude? Oh I, crap! I'm sacing on her name. Uh, uh, the one that was fetching the kids, mm-hmm. like it, it. It tells you that he's, I don't know, so like secluded that I think he doesn't understand other people in any way to where he goes extreme with his opinions and beliefs on how to keep the train going. I, I think you're right. Uh, when you don't have any contact with other people uh, and you can't understand their point of view because, you know what they say, you know, walking a, a mile in someone else's shoes, you'll understand what their life is like. You know, in essence, you can empathize with other people. And like you said, he's never been to the, the tail section in his entire life, you know? So why would he want to go back there? Because if he go, if he went back there, he would see what people went through on a daily basis. He would empathize, you know, he probably couldn't help it, but empathize with them because he would see for himself with his own eyes, not being told, not through pictures, not through a grainy video, uh, what life is like there. And, and he would have to confront that aspect of himself that would let humanity, anybody, live in those conditions. And I agree with what you're saying in terms of taking it too far. But I think that taking it too far is on purpose here because you could say something like, okay, well, do they have to live in these poor conditions? Does it have to be this bad? Do they have to suffer this much? And I think to his point, he would say, if you didn't suffer as much as you did, there would never be these revolts. Right, because these yeah. revolts are what pare down the population and keep it to a certain level. Right, so you know, oh, we need to kill off twenty-four people. Well, you know, get a hold of uh, Gilliam, uh, played by John Hurt, let him know that we need to stage a, a revolt of some kind so people can die, so that you know, again, the balance of the population on this, you know, this train stays at a level that you know we can sustain we can sustain the population. So I feel like on one hand, yes, he, he's taking it too far, but I also see his point, which is you have to take it this far because otherwise what you just did today, this revolt that you planned where it's, you know, it's killed off X amount of people um, throughout the different uh, cars. Uh, it wouldn't exist otherwise if you didn't feel the need to want more, to want better for yourself and therefore fight the system. Yeah. 
So, um, I, and again, I find that fascinating because it does make you think in, you know, for people, some people think that, you know, genre films are, are they're ridiculous. They're, they're not even worth watching because, you know, why would you want to watch a genre film? Uh, and I say genre films are great. You know, yes, there are some, some horrible, horrible genre films. There's horrible films across all kinds of film, you know, whether it's drama, you know, comic book, uh, being a genre, but, you know, whether you're watching something that is, you know, very serious and very dramatic, or you're watching a comic book movie or a sci-fi movie or a horror movie, they can all be brilliant. Um, that doesn't, it doesn't mean that they all are because they're not. But if you put some serious thought into a screenplay and really try to attach some symbolism, some meaning, um, some allegory, that's when you can come up with some really great films. Um, yes, all the pieces need to come together, but on just a script level, if you really think it through, you come up with movies like this. And I think this movie is brilliant because it does try to do more than just tell a violent, uh, bloody action uh, story that, that's centered on a train. Because that's what it is, but where it excels is where the allegory comes in and you see that. And, and yes, it's not subtle, but it doesn't need to be subtle. And that's not the point. You don't need subtlety here. So uh, let's talk about the performances in this movie because they do have some really good ones. Um, who would you say is your standout performer for, for this movie? Uh, and that's a tough one because like, they're just, there's so many just really great performances. If I were to say the one that probably did it for me would be John Hurt, just mm-hmm. because even though we didn't get a whole lot of time with him, it, it really hit his, his time on screen was really well done to make you really see the good in him and that like he was looking out for the tail end of the train and then that twist at the end with him and finding out that he's not really who he made him out and made himself out to be. It really just kind of hits you a lot harder just because of how well he did of like he's the upstanding guy that's willing to sacrifice himself for the tail end and the people and Curtis and Edgar and all of them. And like, it just, yeah, I would say he was definitely the, uh, I'd my pick for outstanding. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll pick one and there's more than this and we'll get to, you know, we grade the film as there's other performers, but you know, Chris Evans for me, uh, really stands out because this to me is his best performance I've ever seen him give. Really. I mean, that comes from needing a performance across a variety of different emotions, right? So there's times where he has to be, um, slightly funny. Um, well, he's, a, he's more of a serious character, but there is some dark humor that, ex- that comes out of, Curtis, um, 
There's also a lot of times where, you know, obviously he's angry, um, you know, he's stern. And then you get moments where he's, he's, uh, shaken up or he's, uh, he's sad or, you know, you can see he's lost a friend. So therefore, you know, you can see the weight of all of this on him. I mean, what he's doing is necessary from his point of view. He's seeking a better life, not just for himself, but for everybody. He wants to get to the front. He wants this to end. But there are, unfortunately, consequences to those actions. And he has to bear that burden, which is the burden that any leader has to bear because sacrifices need to be made. And to me, that's why this performance is so good, because you feel like he embodies each one of those aspects of the emotions that he's going to feel all throughout this movie, you know, losing friends, losing, um, uh, you know, losing loved ones, losing a person that he felt was a, a leader, the leader um, in, in Gilliam and, and seeing, uh, I think bewilderment on his face. I mean, this is the first time he's seen these other, these other uh, cars, these other sections of the train. You know, to, mm-hmm. to see how people were living, to think, here we are in the back suffering so much, and these people don't even see it. They don't even notice. Their lives are absolutely perfect. And that, to me, is brilliant. So, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. he's He definitely did a fantastic job as well. Like, it just, there wasn't, too much that was on the acting side that could be critiqued too much. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, I mean, Ed Harris did great. I think Tilda Swinton, almost unrecognizable, by the way, uh, Tilda Swinton in this movie because she had all this makeup. She had to spend two hours in makeup every day. Like, you, if you don't, if you know who she is as an actress, you still might not know that's who is behind, you know, all that makeup because she's almost unrecognizable. It's garish oh, yeah. makeup, <laughs> actually. Yeah, like, it was crazy. Like, I was like, wait a minute. Like, ah, uh, yeah, it's just so much makeup. I forget how much, they said how much time it took. Like, she had to spend a significant amount of time every day. Uh, two hours? Yeah. She had to spend two hours in a makeup chair just to, to get to that point and it i mean heck we have big blockbuster like comic book movies where it's about that much time just as like a an understanding like a dave batista in guardians 2 i think spent maybe one to two hours and that was like his whole body while tilda swinton had to have just her head like it's just crazy to think how much makeup and effects and stuff that they had to do in the to get her appearance to look that way was intense yeah yeah i definitely agree um so you know we look at this movie and like i said there's there's a lot to talk about in terms of you know the socioeconomic stuff but you know, just from a style standpoint, this movie really excels. There's almost like a comic book 
ish. Uh, I almost, uh, I'm trying to think the like, movies that remind me of, you know, how well the, the action and everything is kind of presented. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of like V for Vendetta, you know, a little bit of that mm-hmm. slow-mo at times um, action. And then, you know, just kind of like the heightened reality uh, aspect to the story. Um, and along with the style, there's a lot of dark humor in this movie, right? So yeah. uh, one of the examples is, so it's when they first get into that car and they have that giant fight, right? So they're going at it with all these soldiers. And then all of a sudden, it's the new year. So everybody stops <laughs> and screams like, happy new year. And and then, you know, like, you're just like, what? 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 Really? Um, like, you're going to stop? And and then um, there's also a point where the train is going to hit these big chunks of ice, right? Because obviously they've fallen onto the track, so they've got to crash through it. And when they do that, like, everyone stops fighting. No, like, no, it's like, okay, um, uh, truce for a moment. Uh, let, let's get through all the ice and all the crashes and then we'll start fighting again. You know, so it's like this, this dark humor that infuses this movie. Um, <clears throat> and I think it lends itself well and it adds, I think, to like almost like the disturbed, almost slightly insane feel to this movie. Like, um, Alison Pill, her character, the school teacher, the oh pregnant teacher. And she's like this, this sunny, like this sunny disposition. And kind of, but it's like disturbing. Like you feel like she's a little crazy right from the get go, but she just seems so like nice and innocent. And let's talk about, you know, all this stuff. And then she whips the gun out and starts, you know, shooting people, you know? So it's, it's a very weird thing. Uh, but a good thing, I think that dark humor, that kind of slightly insane humor is, um, it fits well with this movie, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the, just the, the school scene still is just like, holy, don't go outside. You will die. And just having yeah. the kids chant that. And I'm like, that, that, that's like, some messed up stuff like i get like they're trying to ensure that the kids realize like clearly the outside is death the train stops is death kind of deal but it's like i don't know if i would be having them chant that like it's a you know pledge of allegiance kind of thing in the morning like it, it was a very dark and just out of I guess it was like out of character for the movie in a sense to where it was like everything up to that point. And like, they even show it. Cause like he was taken aback by it. Like the what? Um, but yeah, it was, it does have some very dark, uh, dark comedy to it. Like the, the like you said, the big fight scene, like the happy new year made me laugh. Right. So I was like, of course, <laughs> of course like it's not even that it's like happy new year per se it's the fact that it's like a just that's a year that they've been on the train like right. <laughs> that wilford's created this day and everything so it's like oh Weird. he's really egotistical right that's the extension of the ego yeah um Do you remember the last time you picked up a pen and noticed the quality? 
How about a razor you handled that didn't feel cheaply made? When was the last time a product made a true and lasting impression on you? In this era of the mass-produced and disposable, anything lovingly handcrafted seems to be a rare thing. Maybe it's time for a change, and Spindlecraft can help. At Spindlecraft, passion and superior quality make it stand out from the faceless, automated crowd. Material for each piece of work is thoughtfully chosen, crafted, sanded, and finally polished with the kind of attention to detail and dedication you can't get off of an assembly line. At Spindlecraft, they know that quality of the material is as important as the quality of the craftsmanship and is a reflection of both the artist and the customer. So rather than buying some cheap pens or razors that you won't give a second thought, purchase something from Spindlecraft. To see what they have to offer, go to www.spindlecraft.com and at the checkout, enter the word GEEKS. That's G-E-E-K-S to get 10% off. We're sure that once you have a Spindlecraft product in your hand, you won't want to put it down. So, um, you know, beyond uh, the humor and everything, I think that um, the style is cool. It, it's, it fits well with the movie, and I do enjoy how it's shot. Um, I think the director did a fantastic job here. He really did. And um, the look and everything, it's, it's a film I feel like is meticulously thought out, storyboarded to within an inch of its life, you know, before <laughs> the cameras ever rolled. And it's kind of something that Steven Spielberg does. He storyboards everything before he ever shoots a single bit of film. And yeah. because he needs to know exactly how this movie is going to look before he ever shoots anything. And I feel like that's probably what happened here because it just, it just feels like someone who's in total control of the entire story of everything um, before they ever shot any film. Yeah, I can definitely see that. It seems very like the just the details alone that like they pay attention to and that like even the little things at the very beginning comes back and uh, there's not a a little detail that's missed or not. That's just there for that scene and then never gets answered other than the one big one. But I think that one's meant to let like it's left unanswered just to kind of get us to think like what is really going on with that like we we may never know except for maybe in the snowpiercer tv show that they're gonna be making but uh yeah it's really meticulous in the details uh definitely definitely um all right so uh we need to talk briefly about the um the end of the movie. Uh, so w- let's just outline what happens. So you know, Chris Evans' character Curtis he stages a, a revolt from the back end of the train. Um, they gradually fight through you know hordes of soldiers and different different uh, people trying to stop them from getting to the front. Uh, but they do get there. A few of the survivors, including Curtis himself, gets to the front and they finally meet the conductor played by Ed Harris and uh, named Wilford. And Wilford kind of outlines what this is all about. And, we, and what we've basically been talking about for the last, you know, 35 minutes or so in, in this review is about how the balance of this whole world, that they, this is the world, this is all that's left of humanity, 
right? So this is it. You know, if they were to die, if they were to all die somehow, yo, that's it. I mean, the world is basically a wasteland with no, no life on it. And, um, so keeping the balance is of vital importance to Wilford so that they can all, they can all live. And so he kind of makes this whole pitch to Curtis, you know, letting him know, like, look, the right thing to do is to understand what this is all about. And unfortunately, um, I think he doesn't understand the breadth of, uh, Curtis's will and desire to, to seek retribution for everything that he's experienced. You know, Curtis had to eat people when they first got boarded this train. You yeah. know, they were starving in the back end. There was no food there. They had to eat people, babies. I mean, some truly, truly horrific conditions and the things they had to do to just survive. And he wants to hold him accountable for all of that. And not just that moment, but all of the things that have happened since. Um, so, Jacob, what happens at the end of the movie, you know, with this whole showdown? Yeah, uh, yeah, he, he confronts him and he like explains to him what everything is being used for the balance and like even the the use of why they took the kids. Like he opens up the little thing and there's a kid down there, uh, basically cleaning gunk out of a part of the engine that there's no longer a piece for. And amidst this confrontation. The uh, the big explosion that Nam has been gathering all that chronal for, instead of using it just to get high like he claimed he was, uh, apparently being a very highly combustible uh, thing, is blows up the door so that way they can get out because he believes that it's not death immediately on the outside. He has a theory that it's actually survivable mm-hmm. and him and Curtis cocoon over one of the boys and, uh, oh crap, I'm spacing her name. The, his daughter names daughter. Uh, Oh, and, right. Uh, the girl, the, the yeah, girl that she's uh, basically with. cocoons her to protect her and the boy to protect from the explosion. And then the, they, they take a step outside and see a polar bear. Uh, in the vast winter wonderland that is outside. Um, so obviously which, something can live, basically. Yeah, which I thought that was a really interesting little tidbit. Like, oh, yeah, clearly something has been living long enough to grow to maturity. Like, it wasn't a baby polar bear or anything like that, which makes me wonder, where have they been hiding out? Well, you know, it's an interesting thing because it does make you think if polar bears and granted polar bears can survive in much, you know, colder conditions, obviously, than humans, given how frail we are. Yeah. Um, but it does make you think, okay, you know, if they're able to survive, I mean, it's not like, it's not like you're going to just freeze, um, instantly, instantly, um, the freezing, like the scene earlier in the movie where the guy, they put the guy's arm outside the train. And, you know, for seven minutes and it froze to death or if, well, froze to death, it froze. And then they basically yeah. broke it off into pieces, oh, gosh. Uh, which was horrific, by the way. Yeah, um, it was. <laughs> but, you know, 
that's a little different because a you're on a train that's traveling hundreds of miles an hour you know even in re- re- relatively warm conditions it, it would still be a pretty cold because of the the uh the airflow you know and yeah the friction created by it, it would be a much colder. So, you know, if you have just cold conditions, generally cold conditions, and then you're traveling at, you know, two, 300 miles an hour or whatever it is. Yeah. It's a, it's a different story. You know, that's going to have a different effect. So, um, it does make you wonder if possibly, you know, maybe he even knew this. However, you know, does he, did he know maybe that the conditions were probably actually survivable, but, Hey, you've got a cushy job. Everyone is in this train. You know, this yeah. has been your dream. Um, you saved, you get to be the savior of humanity and you get to call yourself that and you get to see yourself like that. And people see you as that in this train, at least most people, you know, so it does make you wonder. It makes you think a little bit. Yeah. And and with that, like, I don't know. I, I feel like. With him, I feel like he was so delusional in his loneliness and whatnot and how integrated and he's become with the train. I, I honestly don't know if he would ever think that the outside is like legitimately ever believe it. Like, I think it was legitimately a scenario where people probably tried to tell him and he just like, nope, it's not true. It's just not possible. This is the only way we survive. I think he has been just disillusioned from the outside world so much and any kind of humanity that it's just him and the train. And that is all that matters. (laughs) Yeah. Like, hell, he barely seems to acknowledge the only other person he really even acknowledged was Gilliam by name outside of Curtis and that one woman that was basically his assistant that helped go about doing stuff and fetching kids and whatnot. So I, I I think he's just so delusional into the trainer's life that he just wouldn't believe it. I, the way Ed Harris kind of made him out, like his performance kind of made me believe that was the case. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think the ending is is uh it's it's sad obviously because characters we've come to really care about um are not, not alive anymore obviously there's there's a sacrifice yeah. there but you get the idea that it's a sacrifice for the greater good really you know for an attempt at this what was initially probably deemed to be the savior of humanity this train has become a, a prison for some and maybe a prison for everybody to a certain extent, even if they don't realize it. I mean, even all the people that live good, cushy lives are still living in a box. They're still living in, uh, at, on a train continually for the rest of their life. So uh, you are still trapped inside a box traveling on a track from the moment you're born to the moment you're dead. If, if that were, you know, to be this train would go on forever, like it's supposed to, you know, but something tells me that this train wouldn't go on forever, that it couldn't anyway, you know, because even Wilford had to admit there are certain parts that, you know, they couldn't replace, you know, you can't get these paid. So what happens when other things begin to break down and something happens where a part that is essential for this train to actually continue to work ends up going, 
you know, you can't just put a kid down there or do what, you know, maybe it's just, there is no hope after that. And so I don't feel like this train is, would ever continually run forever because something would go wrong. Something would eventually break and they couldn't replace it anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, so let's get down uh, to uh, – there's a few bit, bits of trivia I'm going to talk about, and then we're going to get down to our grading uh, for the film. So uh, Junho Bong had reservations about casting Chris Evans in the lead role because you know Chris Evans is a muscular guy. Obviously, he had trained to be Captain America, so he's a guy that's you know very well physically built, and, and he thought you know for people that are – extremely poverty stricken in this tail section that obviously wouldn't work because he's so physically fit so what they did is they used costuming and they did careful careful camera angles to keep evan's physique from showing because they need to make him at least appear like he's not some giant you know physical specimen because that would be impossible (laughs) given the conditions that they're all living in um uh, Jun Hobong couldn't find the perfect act- actor for Wilford until a producer, uh, Chan Wook, rec- part, or Chan Wook Park recommended Ed Harris for the role. And when I saw Ed Harris in this movie for the first time, all I could think of was the Truman Show. Yeah. Because that's kind of what they did there. Like this character that you heard about, heard about, and then all of a sudden, you know, about two thirds the way through the movie or so, boom, you're, you're seeing, Ed Harris in this role. And so uh, I thought that was a pretty brilliant, almost like a bit of a callback in a way, I think. So there's that. Um, John Hurt's character's name is Gilliam, which is an homage to Terry Gilliam, the director whose bleak sci-fi films such as Brazil, 12 Monkeys, and The Zero Theorem uh, obviously um, kind of have some similarities to this movie, at least in those aspects. And uh, then I think I mentioned this earlier, Tilda Swinton spent uh, more than two hours in the makeup chair for all of her prosthetics and hair and makeup, which I thought was brilliantly done. Yeah. So there's some pretty cool stuff there. You know, just it's nice to see, you know, Chris Evans maybe not have been the, the first choice for the role, but you know what? I think he ended up being the right choice for yeah. this role. Uh, all right. So let's move on to directing this – or not directing, uh, grading this movie. And we're going to run down through – uh, the different things that we grade on. So obviously we're going to do, uh, we do script, acting, directing, special effects, pacing, and editing, and then rewatchability. We add those grades up and we average them out and then it gives you the final score for the podcast. So, uh, let's start out with script. Uh, so Jacob, take it away. Give me your, your pros and your cons for the script and your grade. Uh, I, I would say it had some, very just very well done dialogue and uh moments where they just didn't need dialogue where it was all like it had to have the action which was great and almost all of its entirety there were a few moments where i was a little i I was curious as if that would have been a good idea to do like uh the decision to have Chris Evans slip on a fish. Oh yeah, he was very. Oh, like, re- he had reservations about that. He had to be talked into that actually by the director. Yeah, like it just it was a little weird to me to kind of have like that uh, decision in the script to have this 
scene happen and and it was a little weird it was a little jarring but all in all like it had some very good good dialogue and like some i guess the moments where is kind of uh chris evans's character i guess giving exposition or giving his little dialogue through uh, a couple of different scenes explaining who he was or talking to Edgar at the towards the beginning of asking if he remembered his mother and then explaining that whole thing later. It was just so well done, especially for Chris Evans. And uh, it really worked to his talent and his skill and same with all the others. So like, I think I would, it was just a very good script with a, a minor little oddity that kind of threw me off, but I would give it like a 92%. Okay. Uh, for me, yeah, the pros, uh, I think it's a script that's uh, strong. Uh, dialogue is something that I uh, thought was very well done here uh, because dialogue is used when needed in this movie and it's um, it's used at times sparingly, like you mentioned. I think that that's a very important thing. Sometimes people don't realize that lack of dialogue can be just as powerful as no dialogue. You can get a point across without having to spell it out all the time. Um, so there are scenes where there's a lot of talking, um, like the teacher scene with Alison Pill and everything going on there. But then there's a lot of scenes where you're not getting a whole lot from the characters because it's not necessary. Because visually, what's uh, needed or what's being what's needs to be communicated is being communicated visually, and so you don't need dialogue. And so I think that is is well done, um, thematically resonant aspects to the script like we, we did talk uh, quite a bit about the socioeconomic aspects of what the train represents um, those are all important and I think someone like uh, the uh, the director obviously and Kelly Masterson who's a playwright that's you know being a playwright you probably try to take familiar tropes and familiar ideas and bring out something new and so I feel like that that is what they tried to do here you know with the script. Uh, cons, uh, you know, the fish thing was kind of funny. Um, I think it was, uh, a callback to the Godfather, if I'm not mistaken, um, about slipping on a fish. Um, but, you know, the thing is, ultimately, there isn't a whole lot, I think, to be critical of in this movie. I also think that we're not given too much information about the world. I mean, we give it, we're given a very basic rundown of why this train exists, but they didn't need, to go into every detail and provide a huge story. I mean, we're given what we need, what's needed, but we don't need more than that. And I think that sometimes movies try to over-explain things and it's unnecessary. Um, So I think that was important too, but I think, yes, uh, I'm going to agree. I think a 92 for this script is uh, a perfect score. Uh, All right, let's move on to acting. Um, Are there any, stand-up performances in this movie and uh, we talked a bit about them before yes there are stand-up performances here uh, i think chris harris or chris evans ed harris and tilda swinton all give what i feel are particularly memorable performances here and i don't think anybody is bad i think jamie bell as edgar does um, a fine job uh yes john hurt obviously the the legendary john hurt um, does uh, a great job in his role, but Evans, Ed Harris, and Swinton have, I think, the the most scenes to work with, and therefore, I think their performance is able to shine more. Um, 
And so for me, those are the three actors that really do a great job. Octavia, Octavia Spencer, actually, I think she does uh, a good job as well. You know, not her normal so- uh, sassy uh, kind of role that you kind of see her do a lot. Um, she's a little more playing it straight here uh, in this role. And so I think that's really good. But those three performances really stand out. There's no bad performances here. And I think overall it gets a 90 for me for acting. Okay. Uh, for me, yeah, there, there really wasn't, uh, anything. I, I can't really find too, like, any faults on any of the acting. Uh, well, I mentioned earlier, John Hurt was who I thought because he, even though he didn't have, like, hardly any scenes, it was just still, um, it kind of, without him, it really, wouldn't have impacted as much, I think, with, later on with the twist for Gilliam's character. Uh, yeah, Evans, uh, Tilda Swinton, Ed Harris, of course. Um, but I think I'm gonna have to give it a a 95. Um, okay. The acting, I just I couldn't find too much wrong with it. I honestly, being John Hurt, I would have loved to see John Hurt a little bit more, but can't really fault them for that like they just had so many big names you can't really fit everyone on all the time okay yeah yeah definitely um all right so let's move on to uh directing so how good uh uh directing job did um uh june ho bong do here in this movie and i think you did a great job I think this is, I think it's, like I said, very stylish. Uh, but there's, it's just, there's a great, there's great composition on his shot selection here. Um, he fits it into the style of the movie that he needs, that he's going for. And there's a heightened reality, uh, to this movie. So he makes sure to kind of, you know, utilize that aspect in the direction. Um, uh, he does a great job with, like I said earlier, I did lighting and, and shadow work, uh, you know, in this movie, uh, with the, uh, the, uh, the dichotomy and certain scenes, like the color scheme, obviously, and the set design deserve kudos as well, which I know he had a hand in, uh, working with the, uh, cinematographer, I think also to come up with a fantastic shot selection. I think all of that really comes together and you're the director, you're the guy running the show. Um, so it all really comes to you in the end. And I think you did a fantastic job with this movie. Uh, the look, the style, um, everything really works for this kind of movie and for the story they were trying to tell, you know, so for me, uh, he gets a 91, uh, as a, for directing. Okay. Yeah. He, there were so many scenes that were just in kind of calling back to where there wasn't a need for dialogue. Like, um, the first time they get to see outside mm-hmm. the tailored, like it was just so well done of like the flash of sunlight on them and so many other scenes. Like he just did a phenomenal job of directing and keeping that stylistic feel. Uh, and it, it's even more impressive considering the fact that, being his first English film or English language film, uh, it makes it even more impressive that he was able to do such a good job of working with a fantastic script that he helped write. And 
keep everything in such a good balance of dialogue to no dialogue to action to all these different uh, thematic elements. I, I'd have to give him a 94%. He just he did a fantastic job, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. I totally agree. I, I think he did. Uh, just did, you know, phenomenally, really. Um, what was your grade again? Uh, 94. 94 for directing. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's move on to special effects. And uh, the special effects for me really are, are well done. There's a lot of practical special effects, a lot of blood. Uh, the the stuff with Tilda Swinton, the ca- the hair and makeup, uh, those are all practical special effects. Um, you know, so it's not just about the CGI and everything. I think which is you know pretty well done. I think you know it's not perfect, uh, but I, th- I think it's well done uh, given the budget and what they had to work with. I think you know they did as good as they they could possibly do. Um, so I think it's effective. I do think the train looks cool. Uh, the frozen landscape, the frozen cities that they pass by, all well done. Um, so the practical along with the CGI, I, I'm going to give the special effects an 88. Uh, yeah. It, I, I, I absolutely love the fact that they – they were so willing to use more practical effects, especially in in today's day and age where CGI seems to be so heavily involved in almost every movie that it makes me cringe when it's unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And I'm really happy that they they really helped make sure that they stuck with practical effects when they had no reason not to like, yeah, they absolutely could not have done like some of the outside scenes with practical effects as much as they, they did. Cause it would just be nigh impossible, nigh expensive to make some of those massive cities <laughs> practical. Like it would just not be possible. Right. Right. Um, so like I can understand like that's absolutely a justifiable reason to do the CGI, but the practical effects, like you said, just it kind of blew me away like how good it really looked in the practical like and all the little prosthesis and the makeup and the arm scene oh yeah ah that one that still gets me like it looked so good and so well done and so cringy like it was just phenomenal on the effects and how well they did the makeup (laughs) on Chris Evans as he was getting bloodied without being, you know, let's not truly ruin Chris Evans face. Cause it, it's you know, worth a lot. Be, <laughs> yeah. Like that would be like, let's not go overboard. Like you could still tell, which is really uh, good. So I would honestly give it a 93 on special effects. I thought just the fact that practical effects were so prevalent made it push it up to that point. Okay. All right, let's move on to uh, editing and, and pacing. Um, I think this is an incredibly well-edited and well-paced film because, you know, on top of the fact that given the excellent structure to this film, uh, it really aids, I think, the editing, obviously, and the pacing. Um, 
So the the pacing is great because you get these these introductory scenes early in the film, which are pretty quick. I mean, we get the information we need. We understand the situation and uh, the dialogue and the visuals tell us what we need to know. And then it seems like we're off to the races. I mean, after about, I want to say 15 minutes or so, 20 minutes, uh, that's around the time that things get moving. And then it's a race to to the front of the train. And then we get to the back end and there's these longer scenes with Ed Harris, which I actually appreciated because I didn't want a five minute scene at the very end of the movie with the conductor. I I needed there to be more. I needed to understand his point of view, all of that. And I feel like this was, was very, very well done in that aspect. And, and so that's fantastic. Now, when it comes to editing, I think the editing works great too, because I've seen poorly edited movies. You know, why is the scene transitioning to this scene? How is that working? Is there any way in which you can, you know, merge these scenes together, give me some kind of, uh, you know, some fade into this scene, but we're, you know, maybe a care, one woman's got red hair and then you're fading into another scene with another character that's got red hair. That's a nice transition. You know, there, there's so many, uh, good examples of that and there's so many bad ones. And I feel like editing wise, this movie really works. Um, it's just got a lot of nice transitions scene wise. So for me, this is a 94 for editing and pacing. Nice. Um, we're, we're kind of doing a little bit of a flip on this one. Uh, <laughs> I, I would say, yeah, editing and pacing are really good. Uh, it was a little surprising. I remember when I first watched it, that it was picking up so quickly into like them actually rebelling that I thought that it was going to be like, Oh, it's going to be a, a small little one. Something's going to happen and they're going to have to try again just because like I knew how long it was going to be. I was like, are they going to like when? So when it was just that point on was the full fledged rebellion, it was a little bit surprising, which not a bad thing, but it, it kind of threw me off in my uh, initial expectations for how I thought the, the movie's pace was going to go, but it was all still very good. It was uh good editing uh, by far. Uh, it's just, like I said, a little bit of that little jar surprise kind of, I could see being a little, uh, jarring, of course. Yeah. Um, so I, I gave it a 90. It's still really good and whatnot. It's just, I, I feel bad because I don't want it to be like, oh, I'm dropping it because it's doing something different, so it, which no, is it, not a bad thing. Yeah, I get it. I totally get it. It, you know, 90 is certainly pretty well done you know that's yeah it's still very story. good it's yeah. just yeah that that was i remember like i even rewatched it again uh and i was like oh wait yeah no this is where it's starting off because it was the first time my wife would watch it as well and she watched it with me it was like oh yeah no that 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 just her <laughs> she, she was like what's going on how is it already starting like this i'm like yeah i'm not gonna ruin it for you but yeah that's that's gonna happen <laughs> uh okay so um let's move on to rewatchability um so for me uh the rewatchability for this is is a 92 um because i i've watched this movie uh let's see i watched it three times last year and i think i watched about four times the year before I've watched this movie several times each year, minimum two times, I would say. Um, 
Man, the first time I've watched it this year so far, but I feel like I'm watching it again at least one more time before the year's out. So I really enjoy this movie. It's something that I go back to if I want to watch a sci-fi movie where I feel like I want to get some, you know, I want to get some some deep, you know, ideas and, and some intelligent, uh, intelligent sci-fi, I guess, if I'm looking for that. Um, and I don't want it all the time, but sometimes I just want to sit down and watch a really <laughs> intelligent sci-fi movie. And when I feel like that, this is one of the first movies I think of. So for me, it, it's a 92. Okay. Yeah, it, it's definitely one of the smarter and more thematic sci-fi movies that doesn't just spoon feed you every little thing or uh, makes it seem like you're kind of an idiot to where they yeah like they don't really let you kind of figure stuff out kind of deal uh so it it really it, it has a very good rewatchability i i've seen it a few times now and uh since the initial watching and whatnot and it, it it's definitely something to be able to rewatch it, it would it would be more rewatchable i would say i don't know how if, well it would do for the story but it is jarring to kind of have the game of thrones-esque aspect where 90 percent of the characters die to where well, <laughs> like even the main character and the side character and like you get two at the end of it uh it can be a little jarring for certain kinds of people that are like that that aren't necessarily as much of a fan of that like i know uh this is a similar aspect with like rogue one, like so many characters die. It's kind of like one of those things. It's it hits you and it's like so much death that it, you kind of have to give yourself some space or some time between viewings. So, uh, I'd say rewatchability is about 88 for me. Okay. Okay. Uh, all right. So if we tally up all the grades here, um, you come out to a 92 overall. I come out to, uh, 90 actually it's like a 91.5 or so um so really the overall uh grade for this movie is a 92 um so you know that's i think around where i think i thought the movie would end up in my in my brain um before i even started grading anything i thought you know this movie i, I know it's going to be high you know in terms of a grade and considering um you know its reputation i think i'm along among a lot of uh you know, fans of uh, dystopian sci-fi or just sci-fi in general, um, they tend to hold this movie in pretty high regard. Um, and as, as do I, and obviously you as well. So yeah. 92 for the overall Freaking Geeks score uh, in this episode. Um, and I think it's deserved. Uh, final thoughts on this movie are, you know, it, it's smart. It's, uh, it's an intelligent movie that has a lot to say. And, you know, regardless of your general thoughts or feelings on what the movie's trying to say, I think you need to give credit to the fact that the movie is trying to say something, trying to be deeper, trying to, you know, create a message. It's not just a mindless, gory, violent movie that, that has no soul. It's yeah. a, it's a gory, violent movie that has a purpose. And its story and everything that it, everything that it tells story wise serves a greater purpose. And when you get to the end, you feel like 
you've you've watched something that has a reason to exist this story this movie that the people behind the scenes the writer and the director that this was what they were trying to get across and they did it very very well they succeeded admirably so what about you jacob what are your final thoughts on this movie uh yeah it, it really it, it's it's a sci-fi movie that actually has a very important uh, theme and message to it that even like you said, even if you don't necessarily agree and think that it's a big deal, it's still something that a lot of people need to understand is that there are going to be others that, that don't want to stick with the status quo. Like it's this big issue of, the status quo isn't always going to be good for everybody. And if somebody wants to change it and they truly want to, they, they may do it like this in this movie shows it like Chris Evans's character shows that even at the end of the day, he could have had a better life and become the next Wolford, but his status quo of, letting things settle where they were is not gonna stay the way it was. Like, it's just, he's going to make sure something changes and it's kind of what needs to be said in today's society. Uh, I, I agree. Definitely. Very, very well done. Um, definitely love this movie. Um, all right. Looks like that's it, everyone, for this episode of the podcast. Thanks for tuning in and listen to us talk about Snowpiercer. If you have any thoughts or opinions on this movie, you'd like to communicate that with us, certainly feel free. Uh, we love feedback. And if you want to, you can send it in to www.gotofreakinggeeks.com. Uh, and there is a contact form. You can send it there. But if you'd like to send it via email, you can do so um, at freakinggeeksmedia at gmail.com all lowercase and uh, let us know what you think and if you go to our website uh, freakinggeeks.com and you go to this page where this uh, episode is located you can scroll down and you're able to actually grade the film like we do how do you think this film rates how do you think all of the criteria grades out and then we'll be able to see that you can actually write your opinions your views uh your review all of that there and submit it and that would be fantastic if you did that because we really would like to make this an interactive website so um i guess we'll see you guys next time and uh thanks for listening to the podcast and we'll see you later thank you jacob for coming on and reviewing the movie with me thank you for having me all right everyone we will see you later Everyone knows that iTunes reviews really helps their podcast reach more people. But did you know that rating and reviewing us on iTunes will benefit you as well? Every month we'll be noting who rated and reviewed us across all of our podcasts. Doing so will put you in the running for a gift from our sponsor, Spindlecraft. If you rate and review one of our podcasts, you will gain one entry. If you rate two, you gain two entries, and so on. This allows us to give a little something back for taking the time to rate and review our podcasts. You'll continue to be eligible to win each month for six months, or until the sponsorship ends. Winners will not be authorized to win again. It only takes a few minutes, but we think it's worth it. You should too.
Thanks for listening to the Freaking Geeks podcast. Be sure to visit FreakingGeeks.com as well as our Patreon page at Patreon.com slash FreakingGeeks for more great content. Also, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Trust us, it really helps. Now, if you'd like to write into the podcast and share your thoughts and ask questions, you can do so by sending your email to FreakingGeeksMedia at gmail.com. You can contact Michael on Twitter using at Michael underscore Lanich. You can contact Sarah on Twitter using at Labyrinth Rose or at Freak Geeks. Intro music for this episode is Danger Storm by Kevin McLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Outro music is Nowhere Land by Kevin McLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. You can also find the attribution in the episode description as well.